Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt Eye Connections in New York taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about Eye Connections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. So what we're seeing here is sort of the aftermath. Now everything's starting to sort of go pear-shaped. And again, Federal Reserve was begging for inflation for years. Well, they got their inflation. Now we're on the other side of the mountain, Danny, and they're trying to tamp this down. And in doing so, look what's happened in the economy right before our very eyes. All the economic data that's come out over the last couple of weeks has been in a word, shitty. And my sense is it's going to get shittier. And that's what they wanted on the way in. And now that's what they're trying to fix on the way out. And there are ramifications for this. And you know, what upsets me the most, and people say, why do you get so exercised about the Federal Reserve? It's because the people they screwed going in were the lower and middle class people, and the people getting screwed on the way out are those same people. They're getting on both ends. And you know who wins? The top, the wealthiest, they win on the way in. And guess what? They win on the way out. You know why? Because they'll go to their fucking cocktail parties this weekend, and they'll laugh about, oh, I paid $6 a gallon. Oh, I paid $6.5 a gallon. And it doesn't affect their life one iota. And that, to me... That's what's heartbreaking about this entire thing. And you know what? You can at me on Twitter. It's all at the feet of the Federal Reserve. I know I put a bad song in people's head last week when I did the Barney cleanup. I have another child song, School of Rock, Conjunction Junction. You remember uh-huh. we learned the, mm-hmm. the thing? That was, you like, I'm just a bill. How about demand destruction? What's your function? Knocking down oil and goods and services. Okay. So the Fed didn't see the inflation coming. It's transitory. It's transitory. It's here. Here they come again. They go raising rates, raising rates. Companies, we've talked about this, have already been telling us what's been happening. I saw this tweet this morning when I was looking at the global PMI number from Liz Young. Let me just read this. S&P Global PMI survey indicates factory production, quote, fell to a degree only exceeded twice in the 15-year history of the survey at the height of the initial pandemic lockdowns in 2020 and the global financial crisis in 2008. Look out below. And when you look through those numbers, not just the headline number, it tells you what new orders are going to be. It tells you it is telling us that slowdown is here. We are here. We're not in a recession yet by definition, but we are already. They're saying it's going to happen in Europe in 3Q, 4Q. Guy and I 
You and I differ a little bit. I don't think that you specifically think that this all falls at the feet of the Federal Reserve. All no. I'd say easily 75% of it. And my only point is just to kind of balance this out a little bit and to push back is that when they wanted inflation above 2%, what did we have going for us? Well, we had a situation where technology was seeping its way into every industry. And by definition, as you would say, that's just deflationary. And prior to the pandemic, I mean, we were worried about how we're going to pay people if the jobs are going to get automated and technology is this deflationary force. So to me, again, I think that there were some things in play already. And I think we're going to go back to those guys. I mean, I really do. I mean, we are right now going to see unemployment tick up. Don't you guys think over the 100%. balance of this year, we're going to go from 3.6%, which was a 40-year low pre-pandemic. We're back there. We got up to 10%. And we're going to find ourselves really kind of grappling with some of these same issues again. But that's the thing. Dan, I think in the forecast for the Fed that they put out, again, it's not all about the Fed, but the forecast they put out, I think they have unemployment at 4.1% next year. You can check that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's going to be potentially much higher than that. Companies are already laying. We saw new announcements today. Netflix, we're seeing announcements, other companies laying people off. Yeah, it adds up, you know, and it adds up. And those are decent paying jobs too. Those aren't just low paying jobs. JP Morgan in their mortgage servicing unit, a thousand people people just gone. Yeah. So what's my problem with them, them being the Federal Reserve again? You're right, Dan. Technology is the greatest deflationary force in the history of mankind. I've said it a hundred times on CNBC's Fast Money. I've said it here. The fact that I know that is interesting. The fact that they, the Federal Reserve, couldn't acknowledge that is a real effing problem. I'll say this, because if they did acknowledge it, they would have seen, wait a second, we're fighting this one battle. We have deflationary forces, but there was inflation everywhere else and they just chose not to acknowledge it. Now it's coming to bite them in the ass in spades. Now you'll say, well, their mandates or their, the way that their methodology is broken. Probably is, but they're trying to fight a 2022 problem using a 1950s playbook, and that's a fucking problem, in my opinion. Sorry to curse. The other problem is I think people are just so fixated on yields, and it's a big input for things, so they can look at them. But when you talk about the Fed on the brink of losing control, if they had any credibility, when you have the two-year move in one today, yes, a range of 287 to 310 in one day, the 10-year, 3 to 318 in one day, and 30-year, 314 to 326, okay? That tells you that they're not confident that the Fed has a grip on anything. We are going to go to a sustainable inversion on the 210. We're within five basis points. The three and five and seven are already inverted to the 10, but the, the two is going to go. And we're going to start to realize what's ahead. And what's ahead, people stop focusing on where yields are as an indication to buy the NASDAQ stocks, right? Just lower yields. Things are slowing. And so we've talked about it. Dan has harped on this. You guys have. The S&P earnings estimates for 2022 are high by probably 10% at this point, at a minimum, because the back half is going to be slow. Yes, people will look to 23 to start to guide them the farther we go down in 22. But I think it's a fool's game right now, buying and selling. Like I said, buy quality stocks when they're down, right? You will be fine over a long period of time by doing it. Don't try to game getting back into the shit and the junk and the meme stocks as a result of where the 10-year yield is. Because what it's telling you is that things are slowing and they're slowing dramatically. The Fed's going to overshoot here. They're going to go at least 50 in July. And I actually think there's a chance, Dan and I already have $5,000 bet on a cut in December. I know that probably won't happen, but there's a chance they pause in September. And a pause in September, people are like, yay, but why would they be pausing? They'd be pausing because it's so bad and things have slowed down dramatically. How do we get out of that? Cut rates? Let's play it out. Let's game it out and say they pause in September. You know what's going to happen again? All these commodities now under pressure, they're going to reaccelerate to the upside. So the inflation that they're trying to combat 
Maybe they'll fix it for a couple months. It's going to come right back. So they have penned themselves into this corner that there's no way to extricate themselves from. That's just my opinion. And again, this is something we were talking about literally for years. This path was so clear to, I think, Danny, I know you, I know me. Dan, you've had some thoughts one way or another about this, but it was crystal clear to me they were going down a path that they couldn't get themselves out of, and now here they are. Now, I don't know what happens to the market on the back of that. I happen to think here on this Thursday as we're taping this, I think the market could rally 8 or 9% from here in the S&P 500. I think we can get up to 4,100 over the next few weeks, and then we'll see what happens when the granddaddy of them all, Dan, Apple reports at the end of July. So do you guys think that the buildup in retail inventories, what's likely a buildup in semiconductor inventory, do you guys think that's inflationary or deflationary? So I'll take the other side of that. I think that when the Fed pauses in the fall, it's going to be because they had the fastest rate increase of basically 3% Fed funds in any time period in the last, I don't know, 100 years or something like that. And so if we know that it takes, what, six to nine months for those increases to work themselves into the economy, Danny's shaking his head. I would say that they have to pause. They're also going to be running off their balance sheet. So they run the risk of actually over tightening if they don't do that. I just think that we're going to find ourselves in a situation where I don't think inflation is going to reignite in a lot of these things that have already broken. I mean, like I think when we're going to talk about energy, I think we've seen it in wheat, we've seen it in copper, we've seen it in a lot of industrial metals. I think there's a really good chance that literally inflation expectations were at their height when the Fed started raising in March. And therefore, we're going to see a moderation of this going forward. Forward. And then again, I think we're going to get back to that pre-pandemic GDP average of about 2.2% prior to the pandemic for the 10 years, 2.2%. They were trying to get inflation above 2%. We know where yields were. They were too low for too long. And I think there's a really good likelihood that things get normalized a year or so out after the pandemic's over. All right. Two comments. We're only at 150 to 175 range. Okay. So what's CME Fed funds tracker pricing? 360 now at the top of the cycle versus 4% a week ago. So it's down 40 basis points. I don't think we ever get to 3.6. That's okay. That's my prediction. So one thing that's being overlooked here is war in Ukraine. And when I say war in Ukraine, it's no longer about Ukraine. Russia's about to go into Estonia and no one's paying attention. They fired some warning shots over. They made a comment. Putin had a comment on June 10th, which said, Peter the Great in 1704 conquered Narva, which is the Russian speaking town in Estonia. It seems now is our turn to get our lands back. Now he's doing exercises. That is a NATO member. Right. Let me compound that onto something else because I can't predict geopolitical things, but no one's paying attention. Germany is now at 58% of their natural gas storage capacity. They're now entering, I guess, stage two of three of them basically rationing. So now we're in end of June, July, starts thinking about the next winter months. So let me just counter Dan's point a little bit, I think, where there's going to be some major issues. And some things, yes, will absolutely come down in the inflation, but certain things may stay high. Europe's in deep shit. And they're deep shit. You're seeing it in their numbers now. They're a little bit worse than ours in terms of things slowing. But imagine this situation. They go into an eight. So that's being underpriced a little bit. And that can cause recession. Now, I think the ECB will react and do what they have to do to stimulate the economy so I can counter some of that. But I just wanted to mention that because no one's talking about Agreed. this at all. And I think it's worth mentioning. Now, say this as well. So people say Europe's not a big deal. Well, when you combine the Euro nations, whatever it is, 18, 19 countries, it's the largest economy in the world. And we're at a country of 350 million people. They're collective of about 450 million people. And I agree with you. And I'll just say this in terms of the Putin thing. I miss that day of geopolitics in college. But I'm just gaming it out in my mind, just the little knowledge I have about this man. Losing to Ukraine is a slap in the face. It's an embarrassment. Losing to NATO, 
he could probably live with that. I tried to take him on. I failed, but at least I tried to restore the Soviet Republic or the Russian Republic or whatever is in his mind. So what's my point? If you can bring NATO into this, knowing full well he will lose, he'll absolutely try to do that. Well, let me just add one thing on this, I just because it's important. You mentioned how big Europe is. Germany is the largest, obviously. Fifth largest economy in the world. I think. So when they say rationing, they're talking about to their companies. Imagine if you're an auto manufacturer in Germany or whatever, and you say, okay, you can only produce X because we're rationing energy. Putin knows this. I mean, he's been using this as a weapon for years. The Nordstrom 1 pipeline, which is active, two never got built. They're already cutting. That's what's happening here, just so everybody that's listening understands that. This is a big issue. People are going, oh, it's not. It is. And so something to look at because it has a direct impact on us. No question. And I'll say this as well. Again, politics bore the shit out of me. And it doesn't really matter one way or another what my politics are. My politics bore me. But every time President Biden says Putin's price hike, I'm not really sure who's talking to him, who's sort of in his ear. But who does that benefit? Vladimir Putin. I mean, he loves that. I am taking on the United States and I'm ramming it up their ass by myself. So every time he utters that phrase, that's just one more feather in Putin's cap. Yeah, I think what's really clear that Biden might have also missed that day in geopolitics 101. Their messaging in and around the energy situation has gone from bad to worse. It really makes you feel like they don't have a great handle on it. Guy, you were jumping up and down in late November when they said they were going to tap the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is not exactly what it was meant to do. You also said it was just really not something that was going to make a big difference one way or another. Well, here we are. They're talking. They go back and forth with their policy about what they want to do about it, and they get it. I believe they have good intentions, just so you know. I don't think they want U.S. citizens paying $5 a gallon and have it cut into their disposable income by any means. But to your point, it's also a political thing as we get closer to the midterms. There's nothing that they can do or say right now that will change the course for the midterms and how people feel about inflation, which makes them feel vulnerable about their economic situation. So again, I think from threatening windfall taxes, the big oil companies, to doing tax holidays on oil, I mean, the list goes on. On and on. It's back and forth. It's like a ping pong game that I don't think is serving them particularly well at all. Now, I'll say this, and Amanda just texted this to us, and this is again Thursday afternoon, but at 23.7% loss, this is the third worst two week over the course of 10 trading days drop for the SP 500 energy sector over the last 40 years. I mean, so if you think about it, maybe some of this is starting to work. Maybe some of this Fed jawboning and subsequent action is starting to work. The question is, again, how long and how sustainable is it going to be? Because I believe, maybe incorrectly, that the supply-demand fundamentals for oil still favor to the upside. We had really similar dynamics into the financial crisis in a lot of ways. We didn't have the geopolitical situation, but we did have China undergoing uh, back in 08, 09, a huge fiscal stimulus. And that was one of the things that caused that spike in industrial commodities. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. So you have the SPR, you have the tax holiday, and then you have Biden going in a couple of weeks to see MBS. And again, that might have been all you needed to do to understand that the administration was at least very focused on getting the price of oil down, which optically does something for them politically one way or another. I don't know if it's going to help consumers at the pump, though. Listen, last in, first out for these investors that chased, obviously, energy at the top. They couldn't take it anymore. They were underperforming all their indices because they were underweight oil. They went to overweight. They're like, shit, I knew it. Now they're probably oversell it to the downside and get out of these positions quickly, right? So that's been going on. 
the market is now taking money out of energy and sticking it into, as Dan, you just mentioned. But do they come back, though, Danny, if you think about it? Because the XLE, which we know 40% of the Chevron and Exxon, is down 25% since June 8th, the day that Exxon made a new all-time high. I will tell you why they come back. Yeah. From what level, I do, but they will right. stabilize. When we start reporting second quarter earnings, what sector is going to look the best? I get it. Things are priced off future. But remember, a lot of these models that are built on these companies, they don't have $125 oil in them. They have 80 90 95 So if you look out on the curve and where these stocks can trade, who's going to be returning the most capital potentially? It's the energy companies. Who have the best balance sheets right now? The energy companies. So unless oil goes down below 90 85 80 and we start talking about a real, what would cause that to happen, obviously, would be just a massive recession, in my opinion. Then I think you can still own them. So Yeah, but you think we're going to have a massive recession? I mean, I think we're going to have a recession. I don't think we're going to have a massive recession. Really? I think we're going to have a recession, yeah. Stock market going to 3,200 doesn't necessarily mean a massive recession. It means that we're probably in one. I don't know how big it's going to be, but listen, the one thing you said earlier, too, I want to comment. You talked about quantitative tightening, or the, the allure. The $9 trillion bogeyman, it's a big shadow over everything in the market. And so every time the Fed does something, in the back of people's mind is, oh, yeah, but they're also going to be selling treasuries, unwinding treasuries, and selling mortgage-backed securities. It has an impact. That's where I think, I said it all along, that's where the Fed's made their biggest mistake, in my opinion. And listen, I don't want them to be dovish, but at the same time, they didn't have to pull that right away. Can we pivot from the Fed here? Because you know we're talking about markets, and the markets, at least the stock markets, made up a bunch of stocks. It's actually made up of a small handful of stocks, right? The S&P 500, 25% of it is about six or seven stocks that we talk about a lot. And those six or seven stocks make up basically 50% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100. And I think from here on out, if you think about where the S&P is, it's down about 20% of the year, and the NASDAQ's down a little less than 30% of the year, very near the lows trying to put in a little bit of a bottom. I think it's interesting, again, Thursday into the close here, we're seeing a lot of these NASDAQ names that have been very hard hit, down 60, 70, 80% squeezing. For instance, here's just a name. JP Morgan upgraded Snowflake today, a stock that trades at 20 times sales, but it's up 10%, right? And I can go down a list. I see Datadog up 10%. I see Zscaler up 10%. I see Roku up a lot. Twilio up 10%. So we're getting a big squeeze, but we're also seeing big tech. We're seeing Microsoft, Apple each up 2% and Amazon up 3.5% or so. These companies and what they have to say about the current situation, forget the last three months and the back half of the year, that's really going to determine, I think, the course of employment. If they're having a hard time, they're going to look to cut costs. And we're already starting to see that. And then also it's going to be CapEx spending. And that's it. That's the thing that matters over the next month. In my so opinion. I agree with you. So let's talk about the reasons why I think this is happening. Again, we talked about it earlier. Ten-year yields have come off almost 50 basis points, five zero, closer, probably 45, but I'm rounding up a little bit for a sense of drama here. So as rates have come down in the 10-year, I think people are saying, wait a second, the reason why we sold out of a lot of these high valuation names was on the fear of rates. If rates move is going to abate, maybe we should get backed into them. That's what I think we're seeing here. On top of which, to your earlier point about energy, people are clearly fleeing energy, giving that statistic I gave a few minutes ago. It all makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it's going to continue to play out over the next month or so into Apple earnings. And I think that's going to be your boogeyman, bogeyman, Humphrey Bogey, whatever the hell it is. (laughs) It's going to come in the form of Apple on or around July 26th, reporting whatever quarter they report, but the guidance they give, I think that's what's going to break everything. And a lot of people think Apple to 100. I'm not one of those people. I do think Apple to 115. And I think that would correlate to the next leg lower in the broader market, Danny. Listen, I think if Apple's going to miss, it's before July 26th because they're not dumb enough to wait. They'll probably pre-announce you know it. It's interesting. Do. I don't mean to cut you off. 
That's really interesting. And if that happens, I don't know if that's better or worse. So it's interesting you say that. I just think that they've seen what's going on with not, and they have a pretty good grip on their business and they can use whatever excuse. And maybe it's a buy the news event. Go back to January 2nd, 2019. Remember, there was a huge growth scare globally, and that was one of the reasons why the stock market had been selling off in Q4. And remember, China was really at the epicenter. The first trading day of the year, Apple pre-announced after the close, the stock was down big in the aftermarket, and then that was it. And go look at the chart from January 2nd, 2019. So to your point, I think that, yeah, the stock has come down from 180. It was traded as low as, what, 129 or something like that. There's a whole host of other names, though, that are really having a tough time with supply chains that had basically been indicating for the better part of 2022 that they were doing okay with it. Apple was one of them. Tesla was obviously one of them. And I think that this is probably the quarter where they at least have to acknowledge how difficult the current period is and how it's going to be for the back half of the year. So not to think we're all doom and gloom here, something caught my eye today being Thursday, Wall Street Journal article saying the following are value stocks, Danny Moses. I'm curious your take. Facebook, and I'm always going to call it Facebook. If you don't like it, listen to another podcast, Netflix and PayPal. Thoughts on that? Yeah. So the FTSE, Russell, they're going to do the rebalance tomorrow at the end of the trading day. And they have a value fund and they have a growth fund. And these three stocks that you mentioned, PayPal, Meta, and Netflix have been in Russell growth. So they're going to take a lot of their stock out of Russell growth. They'll still have some in there, and they're going to be Russell value. And they base it upon growth forecasts and sales and price-to-book value. Well, put that in perspective, PayPal is now three times book. I think it was eight or nine times book at one point at the high. So I don't know how they feel about it, but if you're a value investor, and again, I talk about this line because I think retail investors need to understand how these mutual funds Mm -hmm. control a ton of money, how they get paid. They get paid to outperform. So now- if your Russell value is your mark, indice that you need to beat to get paid, now you're going to have to make a decision. Is PayPal, do you want it in there? What is it? And so it's interesting though. that tells the story of the market overall kind of growth to value of what's been going on. I bought a little meta Facebook, sorry guy. Today, it made a new 52-week low yesterday. I think the downside is probably to that 2018 low. Maybe it's like 120 or so. The stock currently trades at existing consensus of 15% EPS and 15% sales growth next year, 11 and a half times, 80% gross margins. And to me, that's value. So you'd have to tell me that 2023 estimates are way too high and the margins are going to come in for that not to represent any sort of value. This is a $125 billion revenue company. PayPal, you just gave the stats versus book. It's three times now. I bought that last month. That stock was 311, paid 80. I bought a little more at 72 this week. So my point is, is like those stocks have been under pressure and Netflix this week, all of them making 52 week lows. I wonder if it has something to do with the rebalancing into it. And might we see a pop in those? And they really are trying to bottom. And they're the sort of ones where I think you guys, we've all traded through bear markets. And at some point, bad news is not enough to have stocks that are down 70 or 80% go down anymore. They start going up on that sort of. And I wondered, Danny, is the ARC trying to balance here? Is it trying to bottom? The S&P made new lows, okay, this week, right? And the ARC didn't didn't break last month's lows. ARC's one stock at this point. But let me just say, Russell growth down 29% year-to-date, Russell value down 13%. That's a massive difference. Any of these tech names, I know you've been on the energy trade. Is anything piquing your interest at all if you're thinking out like three to five years? I think Facebook and PayPal. I've always liked PayPal. I mean, it's a great, these companies aren't going anywhere. A lot of companies out there that are down 80% that will be nowhere. They'll be gone in five years. These companies will not be. So you got to pick your poison. And Dan, you talk about 
dollar cost averaging into things. Yeah, dog. Not a bad time to probably. Yeah, well, just just to be really clear, and guy, you like the Netflix story for years and years. As long as I can remember doing, and you've said this probably a hundred times on Fast Money, never bet against Reed Hastings. He's nailed a bunch of really key pivots. They're in probably this is the most important one ever when you think about the competition. But here's a stock right now. If you want to start looking at 2023 estimates, gap earnings are expected to be up 11%. The stock trades at about 15 times. So this stock has never been that cheap expected revenue growth of maybe 10% or so. I actually think you could see the move into ad-based model, capturing some of the subs who are not paying. I think that could be a reacceleration in growth for this company. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Netflix, for the first time in a long time, you can make a pretty compelling case on valuation because I don't think Netflix is going anywhere anytime soon. And I do think Reed Hastings will figure it out. Another name that caught my eye today, sort of on the positive side of things, Qualcomm today made a multi-year low down to 118 and change, levels we haven't seen literally for two and a half years or so. I can make a very compelling case for Qualcomm on evaluation, a name that everybody loved six months ago when it was trading north of $190 and still had a decent valuation. So a lot of these names have been taken out to the woodshed that are not going anywhere. They just, I think to a certain extent, they've been a victim of their own success. I'm going back to Apple for a second and Qualcomm. There are firms out there that pay to find out exactly how many chips are coming off the assembly line, what the orders look like, how many hours these factories are running. So you already know Qualcomm. That's trading down because we know things are slowing. To Dan's point, to your point, maybe it's a buy the news event once it happens. So when Apple reports, don't worry, there's a lot of hedge funds that have people out there that pay for these services to try to find get as much information as they can. So again, to put everything on Apple, I don't know. But to your point, Guy, you're looking at a stock right now, maybe it has a little bit of downside, but we know that semis are always the most cyclical plays on the economy, right? They, we know that. All right, so we hit energy stocks, crude, 105. Integrators are down 25%. The drillers down 30%. Another group that's really caught my eye, even though I'm seeing a lot of stuff flash green into the close here, a lot of the tech stuff we just talked about, bank stocks act horrible. So JP Morgan is a couple percent from multi-year low. Actually, there's a gap going back to late 2020. I think it's between 100 and 110 or so. The stock's just above 114 here. Deutsche Bank, not a name that we talk a whole heck of a lot about. Their North American operations have been absolutely dismantled over the last couple of years, but it's down 12%. Bank stocks are saying something. We know that we have these stress tests coming out after the close today. Again, probably a non-event. If there was anything bad there, disaster for any of the individual names, I'm just saying. So we got bank stocks acting that way. We got energy stocks acting very poorly. Industrial stocks not acting well. Guy, you mentioned this to me earlier. We were talking about some of the resource names. FCX is down what? 15% in three trading days. Look at where cat and deer are trading. So there seems to be stuff that's like very sensitive to a slowing economy that act really poorly. And the stuff that's working right now is the stuff that's been bludgeoned and the valuations have been reset. What does that mean to you guys? Can we make a near term bottom guy? You said eight to 9% in the S and P 500. And to your point, if everybody's anticipating some huge misses from huge market leaders, then by the time we get that news, we probably don't get hit so hard and we probably rally out. So many cross currents here. I mean, you mentioned Caterpillar. Let's talk about that real quick. Multi-year low, probably two and a half year low, made a 52-week low today, today being Thursday, south of $180. And you just look at valuation and say, how can this be? I think what the market is saying is, guess what? All this perceived growth that you're going to have, it's going to stop on a dime. And we'll see how that plays out. But the cross currents of the market are such that Caterpillar is telling one story. To your point, Dan, these banks are flashing red. I don't know if people really realize what's going on. And Danny, we've talked about credit being a concern. Again, I bring up the HYG all the time, which seemingly has stabilized in the short term. 
but it's something you have to watch. So if industrials are saying something, if banks are saying something, but in the near term, we're going to get this rally in the S&P, there are a lot of weird things that are about to happen over the next three or four weeks. So you're saying warning bells are screaming in silence. That is a brilliant lyric from the song She from Green Day. Danny, give it to us on the banks here a little bit, because aren't you like the big short guy? Everything that's telling us is a recession. You just named all the sectors that are underperforming. Those are the leaders in a recession on the way down. That's what it is. But isn't it interesting, though, that the banks have been selling off for months and months and energy was going the opposite. And now they're becoming very correlated because the credit tailwinds are gone. That's where I was going. You know, so the buildup in credit is here. Ford. Speaking of Ford, which is down, by the way, year to date is down 45%, okay? They made a comment, yes, we're having issues with supply chain. They're seeing auto delinquencies. They have a huge finance unit tick up. Well, they're seeing it tick up. Cap One's seeing it tick up. Everyone is seeing it, obviously, tick up. And rates and the spread on the 210 coming in like this are not good for the banks. We know that. We're starting to see these weird crypto loan losses in various places. We're seeing more losses. And now, in the energy trade, right? Can you imagine if that comes down, there could be losses in there somewhere. But like I said last week, you don't have to own them. Right now, the banks, there's no reason to own them. So you money looking for a home, you're right. Go into the down 80% companies that have a real business, not the ones that don't, and have an excuse to do it. So it's, the market's doing, actually, that's a rational part of the market, the builders. We've seen, at some point, those will be a buy, right, coming out. We've seen housing starts. We've seen mortgage apps. We've seen, everything is telling us yeah. that things are slowing dramatically, except the guy that was testifying in Washington for two days. You mentioned things that are sort of alarm bells. Look at what happened in Bitcoin over the weekend. I mean, Bitcoin traded down to, I think, 17500 on Saturday or Sunday, subsequently bounced. But again, I don't think it's coincidental for the hundredth time that it topped out around the same time our Fed pivoted in November. And then when you heard out of the Swiss National Bank last week, which was the reason I think the stock market sold off as aggressively as it did on Thursday, that 50 basis point hike out of the Swiss National Bank was absolutely a warning sign. And I do think that's the reason that Bitcoin took this next leg lower. Now, I'll say this. If you think, Danny, this Fed is going to pivot once again late fall, early winter of this year, well, to me, that's going to be the green light for all things crypto and, quite frankly, I think for all things gold as well. Yeah, I mean, Seth Klarman put out, I guess he gave an interview at Harvard that he thinks nobody should own crypto and people should own gold as part of the portfolio. He gave a great thesis you guys should look up on that interview. But you have these exchanges shutting down left and right in crypto, right? So obviously, from a confidence perspective, it's been dwindling. And you look at Coinbase, which I don't know what it's doing today, but- It's up 13%. It's up 13% on- 5883. 5883, wonderful. Seven bucks. It's doing great. But Binance cutting their Bitcoin commissions to obviously zero- I mean, that's a huge hit for them potentially. Our right? main man, Jim Chanos, who's been short this thing the whole way down. And that was one of the things, competition and obviously compression of fees. Listen, I mean, I think one of the things that's really clear is that when the coins are going down 10,000 in a clip, Bitcoin in particular, people are trading less. And it really is about liquidation. Danny, did you think, I know that you've been tracking a lot of this meme stuff and we could just throw crypto in there. Did you think the price action that guy just talked about, when you see a straight line down by 7,000 on a 30,000 number in Bitcoin, that feels like a capitulation a little bit. You think we did it? I'm the wrong guy. The underbelly of that sector is something I'll never truly understand, well, how things in stable coins get up. printed. and The only reason I bring it up is it really does speak to speculative retail fervor. That's the only thing that I care about. I was thinking about that over the weekend. Call it a trillion and a half dollars, two trillion that's been wiped here in the cycle. And you think about the dot-com. That's really where the dot-com, a lot of the dot-com stories are. Pets.com. It was a token. Yeah. You know, people retail looking for a quick hit, then losing all their money and so forth. I just think... From a confidence perspective in the sector, it's been harmed. And I think to get a new, real institutions to come in and start buying here, that may take a little bit more. 
than just the Bitcoin prices being lower. Quickly about the absurdity of this market, since you mentioned Coinbase. Coinbase is up approximately 45% from its recent 52-week low of about $41 or thereabout. Currently trading either side of $59. Say, wow, what a move that is. For perspective, though, this was a $368 stock. We're talking about a 45% move to the upside. And it's still, think about where it is in comparison to where the all-time high was. The market is so broken, in my opinion. The mechanism's out there. And this just is one anecdotal thing that speaks to that exactly. Listen, they're going to lose $2 billion this year, Coinbase. I mean, that's the number. So my point is this. If you want exposure to crypto, don't do it in Coinbase. Find something else, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it might be. Maybe it's a different company that doesn't have all the rags in that basket, right? A little bit. So I don't understand the, where Coinbase still trades. It's funny. Anymore. I sent this to Chanos. I slid into his DMs yesterday. It was a tweet from Ryan Selkis, who's the CEO founder of a company called Masari. It's actually a really good data company as it relates to crypto. They have a cool app and I've actually enjoyed using it. But he tweeted yesterday, Coinbase at $14 billion is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in the public markets, rivaled only by Apple trading at 50% above its cash balance in 08. I can't even believe boomer mispricing is going to cause me to move money into the stonk market. So here's a guy who's all in on the crypto trade. He's built a digital platform for practitioners in the space. It's the fact set, if you will, of crypto. And he's saying Coinbase was crazy mispriced and he's going to take some of his crypto and move it into a centralized stonk trading platform and buy some Coinbase. Okay, good for him. You know, it's interesting, though, and I don't want to mean to be melodramatic here, but for some reason, I happen to think the next month, month and a half might be the most important period of time for this market in quite some time. And I'm just going to throw that out there. The market's trying to deal with a lot of things here. We have Fourth of July holiday coming up. These holiday shortened weeks, typically we sort of grind higher for whatever reason. That just seems to be how things work out. But as we get into earnings, towards the middle end of July, and we start to hear from these companies, we start to get guidance while this Federal Reserve is trying to hike rates, while they're trying to reduce their balance sheet. To me, that sort of lines up for a pretty perfect storm. So again, just to reiterate, I do think for the next three or four weeks, this market can have a significant rally. I just don't know what's going to happen once we culminate with earnings starting in middle to end of July. And I'll say this, I think you absolutely have to look at everything you own right now with a fine-tooth comb because the world's going to look a lot different, I believe, come August and September. Yeah, and the Fed meeting's July 27th. Again, I hate putting it all on, but that is what this market is Wait, trading day off day after of. Apple's earnings? I believe Apple's the 26th. Don't quote me on that. Here's another point that's really important because, again, we've traded through bear markets. When the NASDAQ topped out in March of 2000, it sold off to its lows or then a low 40% in June, just in a matter of months. And then it rallied 40%. The point is, is that you're going to see some absolute face rippers here. And I think any strategist who comes on CNBC or that you're speaking to or you see a tweet or something like that says the bottom in, that's it. It's just not going to be it. You can't work off the sort of excesses and then have all the cross currents that we have right now globally, not just here, and think that there's going to be some sort of V bottom. So again, I just don't think that the NASDAQ down 30% of its lows and the S&P down 22% of its lows is going to be the thing that encompasses everything that we've experienced in financial markets and the economy over the last few years. That's going to rectify it. No fucking way. Do your work. I mean, like I said, I do think we're headed much lower. I do think the S&P will get down to 3,200, if not lower at some point during this, quote, cycle. Guy, you mentioned the next two to three months are crucial. 
I don't see anything. That doesn't mean individual stocks can't go up. It doesn't mean you can't own anything. A lot of stocks that have been absolutely punished will start showing some relative strength. That was kind of the point about some of those names like down 60, 70, 80%. And the only only way to take a multi-year time horizon is by dollar cost averaging. And I'll just say this, two years out, three years out, the NASDAQ could be a double easily from here. But Try to find the stocks that you actually believe in that you think are going to be around in two to three years that could be up two, three, or four X. And Facebook is probably one of them. Snap is probably one of them. PayPal is probably one of them. And that's the way I'm kind of thinking about it because, again, I think that's why so much money moved into crypto over the last five or six years because of the potential for exponential returns that don't exist really in the stock markets unless you have market dislocations like we just had. Dan, you just hit the nail on the head. I don't know if you realize it, but no one's patient like that. This market has all been about gamification. It's been about immediate gratification and immediate returns. No one is thinking like you're saying. They're in, they're out. They're selling at the lows. They're buying back at the highs. I get it. Those aren't the people that are going to be driving this market longer term. But when you see these type of that behavior coming into this market, and my point is that the professional money managers, to your point, that will start buying these names that you just mentioned over time and building a base and taking the opportunity, they're not paid on absolute return. They're paid on relative return. So if you can find those winners, and that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's going to be rocky here for the next couple months for sure. All right. When we come back, we're going to get Danny on two areas of the market that are near and dear to his heart, cannabis for one and Tesla the other. So stick around. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually with an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers their community oversees an astounding 48 trillion dollars and 16 trillion dollars in assets respectively iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events we invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. So before we get to Tesla, and I know you're chomping at the bit, Danny, we have a question from one of our listeners, actually a dear friend of mine, Paul Maloney asks, would love to have Demo's update later this week, which is now today, on MSOS, which is right in your ballywick in the cannabis space, Danny. That's the Advisor Shares Pure U.S. Cannabis ETF, which is, let's see, down for the year, 56%. Cannabis is held by retail investors, not institutional, by law, because they don't trade on exchange, and so a lot of these institutions can't. So- when you have the sell-off in the market in general, cannabis is more than likely going to go with it, unless you have a reason to go out and buy cannabis, which would be some legislative win, like the SAFE Act getting passed, which has gotten pushed and pushed and pushed. And just yesterday, found out that it's coming out of the China compete, so there's no chance to pass in another bill, and it's going to be attached to something. So very confident it'll get passed before year end. But people are like, why do I need to own this stuff right now? I get it. 
It's been frustrating as hell. And these companies are doing fine. I'm not saying they're outperforming, but the industry from macro perspective is growing. And if you talk to any alcohol executive or any drug executive out there, they're watching the sector closely. They love it. They fear it at the same time. It's taking market share from them for various uses, whether it's pain medication or whether it's sleeping or whether it's just out entertaining yourself and drinking two glasses of wine instead of four and having an edible. It's here. Brands are starting to emerge. And so it's not going away. The question is, how do you play it? For better or for worse, this MSOS has been kind of one of the broader ways to kind of play it. It's not cheap. It's expensive to trade. I'd hold it here. I think I don't think there's much downside from here, especially if we get any type of pop in the market in general. I think these things will, will take back off. But again, it's been caught in the retail headwind. They haven't done themselves any favors at all on the other side. When Tesla reported their last quarter, the stock closed, I think, the day around $1,000. They reported what was, in my opinion, heroic quarter, and I've said it. It was the quarter that if you were long Tesla, you were waiting the last three years to hear, and you got it. In the aftermarket and ensuing day, the stock traded up to 1080 or thereabouts. Since then, it made a recent low of 628 thereabouts a couple weeks ago. As we sit here right now, the stock is either side of $700, Danny Moses. Again, pretty precipitous drop, all things being equal, in Tesla over the last month and a half, two months. Yeah, listen, a lot going on, a lot of noise related to Musk's personal involvement with Twitter, what that meant for his stock, how much stock he has sold. He's actually saved a lot of money. He could pay the billion-dollar walkaway fee in Twitter, and he saved money by selling Tesla where he did a couple billion dollars at this point. But I think it's more than that. I think it's a disconnect between his employees. You're seeing people get laid off. It's not a growth company. Stocks don't trade at that multiple if you're laying people off. And then, Dan, he gave this interview on YouTube to the Silicon Valley Motor Club or whatever on what turned out to be, what, May 31st. And that's another Reg FD violation. We'll just leave it at that. It feels like it was 8K material because, Dan, can you read exactly what he said? A couple things here. You know, he talked about these two plants that a lot of bulls have been pointing to, Giga Berlin and then the factory in Shanghai and then obviously Austin. And he referred, I think, specifically to Berlin and Shanghai as money-burning furnaces that they're losing billions of dollars. And this has been a huge pillar of the bull case that their ability to produce in those areas. Now, let's be frank. European demand for those EVs are probably not particularly great at the moment if they're in a recession. And then China... Shanghai in particular has been locked down. So production issues there. I do think, Danny, just as you know, I see this hitting the tape here and I can't see what it says. Tesla files definitive proxy statement with SEC that just hit the tape at 4.06 as we're sitting here. I'll just say this about the stock guy. It's really interesting. On a day like today, we just talked about how squeezy a lot of things in the NASDAQ are. Tesla closed down on the day. I mentioned this on Fast Money last night. If you go back the last two weeks of the last four quarters, you know how he sends out this rah-rah email, things are really hard, we got to pull together and make the quarter, and then the stocks have ripped the last two weeks of the last four quarters. So it'll be interesting to see if that can get going into quarter end here. It doesn't really feel like it wants to. It's trying to put a little bit of a bottom in and around this 700 bucks. But again, there's so much noise. And then to your point, Danny, it's like sooner or later, man, when he finally guides down and the numbers for the balance of the year are just way too high, it was all out there in plain sight. It's just nobody was calling on. And that's a big issue you have. It seems like the sell side does not do a good job putting his feet to the fire. And where's the press on this one? It's like it's unreal. Everyone's been censored. Wall Street's been censored because you don't want to not get those fees that may come. Some newspapers, Russ Mitchell, LA Times, writes a lot on it. No one paying attention. I just don't know what it's going to take. But that being said, I said it from the very beginning as I go through this proxy. I'll know this market's going to act more rational when something like that gets cracked. It is what it is. It's been frustrating on the short side, but more frustrating to me 
on a believer in capital markets and that it's just not seeing it act that All way. All right. So let's recap here a little bit. We reset the stage here. I think, again, you guys have been very constructive on energy, but I know for the last few weeks, you've been saying that I would not be piling in the sentiment. It seemed to be all one way. Guy, you've been thinking that the stock market is going to put in one of those face rippers, the bear market rallies. You think we go lower, but you think we go lower from higher levels here. And I guess if we're thinking about it, so rates coming in right now, really quickly. Okay. So guy, you just mentioned, we basically got got to 3.5% in the 10-year. We're about 3% right now. We started Q2. You know where the 10-year was? 2%, which is pretty fascinating. So where could the 10-year come in, and what would it mean for stocks if it were to come in, let's say, to 275? Yeah, I want to be clear. In the short term, I'm very constructive. I do think we're going to get one of these grind higher rallies where it's going to force people to say the bottom was put in. They're going to get just browbeat into that. And I can understand that. I've been on that side of the equation. What do lower rates mean? In the short term, the market will perceive them as bullish. I think it's anything but. To answer your question, I think the 10-year yield can go down to 2.75%. I think the two-year yield can vacillate anywhere between 310 and 320. You can do that math, Danny Moses. That's a pretty steeply inverted yield curve. Yeah, I think that's what we're going to see. And I think the 10-year could pierce certainly below 275 and maybe to 250 as inflation expectations come down and the Fed still decides they need to go a little bit just to make sure we'll have a big inversion and, and probably a recession. I think we have a recession regardless, but we'll see what happens. You know where I stand at year end with Dan's five grand. No, we do. And we got sports coming back. We got the NBA draft we'll talk about next week. We'll talk all things hockey, Knicks, all that shit. But I think just to wrap it up, constructive But folks, I think now more than ever is a time to be very attentive as to what's going on in the world. I do think the next month and a half is going to be critical. Hopefully, we've guided you towards this period of time, and we'll be with you next week on the tape. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.